Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome to the Business Systems Summit. Very excited for this session. We've got Jack Daly. Now, he's a sales guy like no other. His first company or selling at age seven. At age 12, he built his first company. At 13, he had five employees. He's got a degree in accounting. He's a CPA, got a master's in business, and he's grown six companies from scratch, two of which ended up going nationwide, two of which ended up selling on Wall Street. He's written a, a book called Hyper Sales Growth. And even though he's a salesman and started out at a really young age, I actually think he's more of a businessman or he, he understands sales from the perspective of, of a complete business. And he's a systems guy. So that's why he's here today. He's going to share his system for selling and also how to grow companies. So Jack, thank you for your time and welcome to the Business Systems Summit. Great to be here, Dave. And uh, uh, that was a pretty good intro. Usually I've got to backfill it, but I think we did a good job there. Oh, very good. And I know this is going to be a little bit different than a lot of your presentations because you're a little bit old school. Uh, you like a good flip chart. And I noticed we don't have a, a flip chart behind you. And um, yeah, you, you prefer that than a, a PowerPoint. So excited to see how it comes together uh, in Zoom. So perhaps I'll just let you take it away. And if it's all right with you, I'll just chime in here and there if I've got questions or just wanted to clarify. Sounds perfect. And I've been in front of audiences as great as uh, 4,500 people with that little flip chart on the stage. (laughs) We just bounce it over there by way of video and everybody gets it. Really what I want to share with everyone today is all about sales. How does a salesperson win new customers, grow the ones they have, and differentiate themselves from the competitors? And you're right. I am a system and process guy, and I'll explain it very, very simply to you. The largest sales force that I had responsibility for running was 2,600 salespeople. They were operating out of hundreds of offices around the U.S. And every time I visited an office, I had the same speech. Here it is. There aren't 2,600 best ways to sell this stuff. What do you say we figure out the best way to sell it and everybody sell it at the optimal level? So I want to start out and say I've got seven basic bullet points or seven ticks to go through, and the first one I call two basic foundations. The subsets, the first subset is systems and process. And here is the one-liner. Sports teams are run better than most businesses. It doesn't matter what the sport is, doesn't matter what the level is, there isn't a coach in any sport that would consider putting their players on the field without a playbook, without the systems and the processes. But I can tell you after writing and publishing this hyper sales growth book three years ago, which became number one in seven countries the week of, uh, the week of publication, uh, masses of people contacted me and said, I want some of that hyper sales growth. And I said, well, easy. Just send me your playbook on how you sell today. Yep. And then I'll take it to the next level. 98 out of 100 callers did not have a playbook. And so my first message to the listener is get yourself a playbook. Build the systems and processes and hold the salespeople accountable to it. The second subset that I would give you, Dave, to the 
two basic foundations that I wanted to start with mm. is leverage. And when I talk about leverage, I'm talking about how can I make more money with less work? How can I generate more business with less work? So I'll give you two examples of that. One, if you don't have an assistant, you are one. There are things that need to be done in sales, but not necessarily done by the salesperson. So when I go back and I study the very best salespeople, and I want to tell you something, the top 5% of salespeople are generating a disproportionate amount of the mm. sales worldwide. When I look for common threads amongst them, one of the things that I notice is they're maniacally focused on the HPAs, high payoff activities. And so they scrape away the things that aren't going to win them business and they focus on the things that will win them business. It's absolutely the key. In my business, as an example, I have seven personal assistants so that I can work the high payoff activities, which is promoting myself and being on stage. Everything else, let someone else do. Mm. Now, a second subset of leverage is a concept I call model the masters. No matter what I've chosen to do in my life, and I'm sitting here at the ripe old age of 68 years old, but I've got the energy of a 30-year-old, I've done 15 full Ironmans in the last 10, last 10 years, so don't screw with me. <laughs> I, now, I can tell you my whole life, what I've tried to figure out is, what are the people that are achieving success doing that I could model? I don't need to recreate the wheel. So if I'm in sales, I join a new company, I want to know who the top, top two stars are. And then I'm going to peel off and spend a week with each one of them and mm. find out what they do and why and what they don't do and why they don't do it. I'm going to find out what their pipeline management is like and their touch system and, and the five biggest reasons that they're so successful and the five potholes they went into in their career so I can drive around them. Literally, just strip them clean. Once you strip the top guys clean, then you can build your playbook, then practice the playbook, and voila, you're a top producer in the top 5% of the world. It is that simple. So given those foundations, what I wanted to do was I wanted to give the listener the ingredients, if you will, of a half a dozen pieces to go into the playbook. Would that make sense to you? Perfect. And, and just for clarity, when you say playbook, are we talking something that's written down, documented, including scripts? Like in what form does that playbook take? Absolutely. In writing, for example, objections. We shouldn't be stumbling through what we're going to say when someone says they're happy with uh, somebody else. We shouldn't wonder what we're going to say when they say, well, your price is too high. Yeah. So figure it out, word it out, and then practice it. And then deliver it as if it's the very first time you've ever said it. Yeah? Yeah, gotcha. And one more note before we leave the playbook, it's never finished. It's always under construction. Because any time that anybody on the team comes up with something that's working, we ought to plow that back into the playbook and learn new plays. Just like, mm -hmm. just like a sports coach would do with a sports team. Yeah. I mean – they're not sitting around with the same playbook they used five years ago, three years ago, last year. There's always improvement to be made. And these playbooks as well, I'm imagining, because you're even though you're known for your sales, you have built really big nationwide businesses. I'm assuming then you have playbooks effectively for each different department in a business? Oh, absolutely. You bet. Yeah. yeah cool. uh, but here's what's interesting, Dave. If I ask a company for their operations manual, 
they can give me one. If yeah. I ask for HR, they can give me one. If I ask for the accounting, they can give me one. The thing is, when we go to sales, everybody looks at yeah. you like, I don't have one. And then you hear this, you hear this garbage. I got my own style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you imagine 2,600 salespeople having each of their own style? Can you imagine a coach hearing that from their players? Well, coach, I got my own style, right? Yeah, you're off the team. <laughs> That's right. All right. So let's go with the ingredients in the playbook. The first one I want to tell you about is what I call backward thinking, and that is define success and chart back to the present. Right? Stephen Covey used to say, begin with the end in mind. So what I want to know from a sales guy is, how much do you want to make? Or yep. how, much, how much business do you want to do this year? And once I understand that, then I'm going to break it down into four pieces. One, I want your goals in writing. So I want it in writing what exactly it is that you want to achieve. Second thing that I want is a written plan on how you're going to go about achieving those goals. And part of that plan is the specific identification of the activities needed to do it. Third is a system of measurement because things that get measured get done. And fourth is a system of accountability, something to hold our feet to the fire. No different than if I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to hire a strength trainer because I want that person to hold me accountable to being there on time and doing the exercises that I need to do to put the muscle on in the right places, etc. Yeah. Same type of discipline. And if anybody uh, that's viewing here were to go to my website at jackdaily.net, you could go to a tab called Life by Design. I post my personal goals, the process, the measurement, the accountability. It's all there for people to see how that system and process works. Now, I take salespeople through that, and all of a sudden it's like, well, I've got my own style. No, that's a guy that doesn't want to be held accountable. That's what that is. With that first step, um, who is actually, like you mentioned when you're working with someone, so whose job then within an organization is that to take that salesperson through that process? The sales yeah, manager? So, so it's the sales manager, right? And let me tell you what my definition, Dave, is of a sales manager. A sales manager's job is not is not to grow sales. A sales manager's job is to grow salespeople in quantity and quality. Yeah. And grow salespeople in quantity and quality, they in turn will grow your sales. So perfect, spot on, it's the sales manager. Yeah. So let's go to the next process inside the playbook. I call it proactive pipeline management. Now, if you were my salesperson and I were your manager, what I would want to know is I would want to know in detail who is your number one prospect that you're working on right now? That if you land at that account, life gets really good. But I don't stop there. I want to know who's number two, who's number three, who's number four. Who's, and we're going to go through this either in a contact management system or on paper and pen. I need to see the basket of your prospects. Mm. It is the heart. It is the heart of, of bringing in new business is prospecting. So I need to see who's one, two, three, four, five, all the way down the line. The next thing that I'm going to ask you is, when did you last touch them? How often have you touched them in the last 90 days and in what ways are you touching them? And I'm gonna do that with each one of those prospects. The next category in my inspecting the baskets or proactive pipeline management process is I wanna know who are your customers? Who's your number one customer? Your number two customer? A prospect 
is someone who's never done business with us. A customer is someone who once did or occasionally does. And I'm going to go through that same process. How often are you touching them? What ways are you touching them? What's standing in the way of them doing more business with us? The third category in pipeline management is the client basket. And clients do regular and ongoing business with you and do a lot of business with you. Same process. Who's your number one client, number two client, number three client? When did you last touch them? How often are you touching them? What's standing in the way of them doing business with us? That process will absolutely increase the sales for a salesperson and for an organization. And all we have to do is do it minimally every month with every salesperson. And I tell salespeople, if you don't have someone that's doing that to you, go hire somebody to do it. Yeah. So if that's happening monthly, and that would be the sales manager's job as well to do that, how many people then would a sales manager be looking after to be able to to do that? Is there kind of like a, a number? Yeah. Yeah, there is. So if there's a generic number, although it does differ depending upon the industry and the business landscape. But generally speaking, if you go over 12, people are going to be ill-served. Yeah, gotcha. So I, I just came back from a three-generation family cruise on the largest cruise ship in the world, 6,000 passengers. The waiter on our table told us the best waiters have a maximum of 20 people that they wait on. But 10 to 20 is the maximum that they feel that they can deliver service to. So on a 6,000-passenger boat, we had 2,500 people that were on the crew supporting us. Yeah, wow. So, Huge cruise. <laughs> so think, so think, just think in those terms, right? Yeah. Now, I said minimally monthly. Let me tell you what my exceptional clients do. They do exactly what I just articulated, but they do it every week with every salesperson. Yeah. Right? And if I go back to my sports analogy, if a, co- if a team is playing a game every week, the coach ain't waiting a month yeah. to take corrective action. Yep. Right? So staying on them is the way to grow. Now, the next piece of the playbook in terms of systems and processes is something we call the touch system. And that goes back to the pipeline management where I was saying, how often are you touching them and what ways are you touching them? So I want to tell the viewer here about how to build this touch system. The first thing that I can tell you is it takes nine touches before your prospect knows you exist. It takes nine before you know that they know you're out there most salespeople and sales companies quit at five or less. They wasted their time, their money, their effort, and no one really had any impact. Mm. The problem with the touches is that companies and salespeople, the only thing they touch their prospects, customers, and clients with are things about the company, and that's really a weakness. Yeah. So I want to identify four databases, prospects, customers, clients, And then a fourth category called other, which is anyone you meet in life that didn't fit into the first three buckets goes there, right? So as an example, I'm in U.S., you're in Australia. If you're doing business only in Australia, well, I'm probably not a prospect, customer, or client, but I happen to have about 5,000 business owners and salespeople in my database from Australia, So I would be a great other in terms of leveraging my centers of influence. Yeah? Yeah, gotcha. All right, so those are the four databases. The method of touching has to be varied. Personal visit, belly-to-belly, face-to-face, 
phone call, email, voicemail, snail mail, fax, social media. What we want to yeah. do is we want to mix that game up. Too many companies and salespeople, all they're doing is sitting at their computer sending out emails as touches. And I'm going to tell you what the recipient's doing. They're hitting the delete button faster than you can print it, yeah. right? So we've got to mix them up to keep them varied. And then in addition to that, besides the things about your company, here are the other categories. You want to touch them with things about you, things that are happening in your life. I'm, a, I'm an Ironman. I'm a marathoner. Uh, I'm a wino. I'm a golfer. So I'm going to touch people with things about that. I'm going to touch people that are in my databases with things about how to be better in their industry. I'm going to hit them with things that could help them be better in their business. Mm. I'm going to hit them with general business improvement things. I'm going to hit them with things I know about them personally, whether it's family or friends or sport or what have you. And I'm also going to touch them with just things that are fun because people enjoy doing business with people that are fun. Yeah. That is the touch system. I can tell you, Dave, that what I just described sounds like a lot of work. I can also tell you, thank goodness, you can build it in less than a day. It won't be very expensive. And you can hand it off to be executed by one of your assistants. So with that, and, and that's probably the, the question that popped up into my mind, I'm imagining, yes, a lot of these interactions and touch points are going to be tailored. That said, though, there's also probably some frameworks and email templates that can be used and almost like the way that you work it with the salespeople, do you give them, well, here's a collection of all of these different methods for touch points. You know, here's, you draw on these when you need them, or is it very structured, almost like, an autoresponder sequence where you say, right, you follow this process and you, you do these steps. Yes, you tailor it, but at the three-day mark, I want you to send this. At the five-day mark, and it's not just email, it's all of those contact points. Just wondering how that is structured. Yeah, so I'm loving your questions. I'm a major process guy. Look, I never have to wonder where my sunglasses or keys are when, I, when I'm going out to dinner. If you were with my wife and I say, we need to leave to go to dinner, we're going out and it's 15 minutes drive from the house. She says, perfect, I'm ready. All I need to do is go find my keys or sunglasses. Well, if you put them in the same damn place every time, we wouldn't be looking around a square foot house, right? So I'm all about process. So I want my team um, figuring out with us as a group, what do we hit them with first? What medium? How many days do we wait to hit them with another one? in another medium, with this document, with this process. I love that approach. Yeah. The structure, the more structure I give them, the better and more effective it is. And quite frankly, easier to measure whether they're doing it or not. Yeah. And I'm assuming... So, I'm talking about sales guys. These guys, they tend to be loose. They tend to be ADD of a magnitude of significance. They don't remember what they did an hour ago, let alone what's going on a week ago. Yeah. So the more I can stick them in a process, the more success we have. And the process, I'm assuming part of your process is going to be hiring good people. So you also, they know the rules to know when to break the rules. It's not like you have a robot who goes, I've got to send this email at this time and it's got to have this line in it. And if it doesn't, I'm not following the system. Hey, let me tell you something. We tell our clients, don't have HR doing the screening on hiring salespeople because the good guys will never get hired because they're all pain in the asses yeah. breaking the system when they need to override it. I want guys using their brain and saying, all right, we can skip these three, let's go 
take them to the finish line. Yeah? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Love it. HR wants you to follow the rules. Most of my top producers are rule breakers. We, we love them. But but by and large, you know, I can't have it be anarchy either. Yeah? Yep, makes sense. All right. So the next concept that I want to drill down into the playbook is perception of value. And I'm going to be less disciplined about describing this, but I want to tell that this is absolutely a key. This is what I call a game breaker. And that is what perception of value are you creating in the market such that people will go out of their way and or pay a premium to do business with you? And it, the very first time that someone elects to buy from someone, whether it's a person or a company, they can't buy real value. You can't buy it. You buy the perception of value. So one of the mistakes that we make mm -hmm. as salespeople or a company is we do all of the things that prove that we've got real value but we don't spend time in a room articulating how we're going to create perceived value. So if I gave you some companies as examples, it becomes very clear. Mm. So the highest valued company in the world today is Apple. Yep. And the master of perceived value was Steve Jobs. All you need to do is read his biography written by Walter Isaacson and you get it. Woz made the stuff and Steve created this mystique, this perception of value. Yep. And so they've taken it to an exceptional level. In fact, when I had a discussion with Steve Jobs before he died and he saw my presentation on prospects, customers, and clients, he said, listen, we took it to a different level. We're not interested in clients. We're interested in building a cult. And th wow. that's yep. really what Apple has. Yep. Their, their people will wait six months when Samsung already has a phone or a computer out that outperforms their current Apple computer, they'll wait. The cult will wait. They'll go out of their way. They'll wait. They'll wait six months. They'll wait and paying a premium. You can get three laptops for the price of one Apple. But if I went to a cult member and said, I'll trade you straight up three to one, they'd flip me off. I mean, there's just mm. no way. That kind of loyalty is being driven. One, you have to deliver on the goods. You have to deliver the promise. It has to have real value. But first time out is creating perceived value. So think about how the box is constructed uh, for the iPhone. Do you yeah. know that more than 50% of the people in my live audiences that have an iPhone still have the box? Yes. Yeah. You don't keep boxes that small, but you do in Apple because it's so well constructed. And Steve said, when I, when I have a, a cult member get that box and they pull that lid off, I want them to have almost a saintly experience. Like, this phone's got to be awesome. Look at this freaking box. Yeah, yeah. So, see value. Starbucks. Now, look, I know the Australians poo-poo on the Starbucks compared to the quality of coffee that generally can be caught in a cafe. But I want to tell you something. Don't argue against 20,000 yeah. stores worldwide selling coffee for six bucks a cup, right? And so what Schultz said is I want to create an experience built around the idea of drinking coffee. So you don't buy it from a clerk. You buy it from a barista. You don't buy a large cup of coffee. You buy a vente. And all of that was to create this mystique, this perception of value. And then another company I can give you as an example is Harley Davidson. Yeah. And 
I mean, they own they own the market when it comes to motorcycles. And do they have a cult? Yeah. Absolutely, right? And a cult member of Harley will wait forever for a bike. They won't go to a competitor. Yeah. And by the way, General Motors in the U.S. has to sell seven cars to make what Harley makes on one bike. And so, you know what? If you create enough perception of value and you create enough trust, the price objection tends to diminish, if not entirely disappear. Yeah. And so work on perception of value. With that one as well, and I understand why this step was probably a little bit more loose because it's going to yep. change in every different industry and every situation is a little bit different. Is there a, a way when you're approaching a market, let's say you're even consulting to someone, that you help with that? Like what, obviously looking to maybe leaders in their vertical and see what characteristics they've got. Are there strategies you've got there? Absolutely. So when we're working with our clients, we're pushing them around again with the flip chart, <laughs> but we're really pushing them to use the examples. And I give unending examples of these companies and individual salespeople. I've had salespeople that have sold a hundred million dollars in sales personally when another salesperson only sold two million in my same company with the same product, the same economy and the same price. Mm. Obviously, the $100 million producer has a different perceived value in the marketplace. And yeah. you can spend time creating that perception of value. I would suggest that I personally have created a mystique in the marketplace that causes me to be booked out a year or more in advance. And best-selling books, I've written three number one best-selling books on Amazon three consecutive years. There isn't a human being on the planet that can lay claim to that. I have my own magazine that I publish twice a year, 32 pages, that has me that big, big smiling face on the front cover. And I could go on and on with so many different things that we're doing to create this perception of value. Mm -hmm. And so individuals and companies, it gets very personal and we have to get really into it. One of my clients is based in Vancouver, British Columbia. But they're also in Australia. It's called 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And there's 300-plus franchises in that organization. What we've done to create the perception of value such that that company can charge $700 a truck to take your rubbish down to the dump. Yeah, yeah. But we got them on Oprah Winfrey. Uh, you know, I mean, th that's perceived value. If you're on Oprah, my goodness, you got to be good, right? Yeah. So – so that's the, that's the game. All right, let's go to the next section. The next section I'm going to talk about is personality styles. So when we study, as I mentioned before, the top 5 to 10% of salespeople, and we go out on calls with them, we notice something. And that is they don't sell to everybody the same way because people are different. And as a result, they're like chameleons, and they adjust their style to be more in alignment, to be more compatible with the person they're calling on. So people do business with people they like, and they tend to like people that are more like them. So uh, some of my clients, actually, their salespeople sell over the phone all day long and never meet the prospect or customer. And mm. some of those phone calls are actually less than 15 minutes in duration. What I have to do is go in there and teach effectively these kids that are in their 20s how to detect in the first two minutes of the call what style of person 
they're talking to so that they can adjust and modify their style to be more in alignment, to be more respectful of the caller. So the basic construct of this is that there are four basic personality styles, and we all got into one of them by about the age of 13, based upon genetic makeup and the way our parents raised us. Once you land in one of those four styles, it is a life sentence. And you do get parole, and you can visit the other boxes. But at night, they put you back in your cell. <laughs> so three-quarters of the world lives in a different style than you. So as a salesperson, if you sell to everybody as if they are your style, three-quarters of the time, you're running a very high risk, a bad first impression. And a bad first impression is often not recoverable. Mm -hmm. So there are two basic questions that a salesperson needs to ask themselves about the person in front of them. And here's the two questions. One, is the person I'm meeting or talking to right now more assertive or less assertive than the person that I typically engage with? And if you listen to a person in the first 60 seconds, assertiveness comes screaming out of them. Yeah. For example, people meet me for the first time, it's immediately recognizable I'm an assertive guy. Now, when you tell me I'm an assertive guy, it means I'm one of two styles. I'm either a driver or I'm an expressive. It also tells you that I'm not analytical and I'm not amiable. So the analyticals are detailed-oriented people that need to be sold with lots of detail, with proof and documentation and in writing. You sell to me, you'll, I'll throw you out of my world if you start doing that to me, right? I'm also not amiable. I'm not, I just don't make conversation easily. I'm not going to ask you about the weather and your family and a bunch of other that nonsense. I'm right down to business. So if I have a salesperson that's going to glad hand me and talk to me in those terms, I'm going to grab them by the collar and throw them the hell out, right? So that was a tremendous amount of information to know about me in the first 60 seconds, more assertive or less assertive. Now, the second question is, how does this guy make his decisions? Does he make more based on logic or does he make more based on emotion? Mm. Well, we've been together now for about 35 minutes or so. And uh, it, all I keep talking about is system and process, system and process. Well, I mean, it doesn't take Einstein to figure out that I'm making more decisions based on logic than emotion, yep. which means that I'm a driver and I'm driven to get to the end zone. And so if you want to call on me, you need to be blunt and direct, get to the point and don't give me any detail. My ideal sales call on me is 15 minutes or less. Tell me how I'm going to benefit. And then you probably have things to do because I sure do. Get out of here. Yep. Right. You try to make a 15 minute call with an analytical. You'll never sell to that guy. Yep. Now, if I made more decisions emotionally, I would be an expressive, which interestingly enough, 70% of the people that are gravitating towards the sales profession come from the expressive box. And the weakness is they of the four styles are the worst listeners. Now, think about this. The shortest course on sales is ask questions and listen. And 70% of the players don't know how to make their ears work. If they could take that fun, creative, outgoing, party animal personality and take it out into the marketplace and get these ears to work, they'd own the world, but they have a big challenge doing that. Now, 
when I'm working with my clients, I go through a little bit more than what I just did with you. But what I would tell you as a summary on personality styles, there is a book out in the marketplace written specifically for salespeople that's the Bible. And it's called The Platinum Rule. And The Platinum Rule is written by a guy by the name of Tony Alessandra. And he takes you through how to identify these types, how to deal with these types, what words to use, and all of the things that we need to do. Last item that I would note on personality styles, once you as a salesperson figure out through this process what that guy is, put the identity in your contact management system right next to their name. Then before you get out of the car or on the phone, forever after, we know what their style is and we can adjust our whole persona as we walk in and meet with the, with, with the customer. Perfect. And, and again, all of this is part of the playbook. So this would be a section that you've got the details, how to identify these people and then what actions to take as a result. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm not sitting here trying to promote my stuff, but I would tell you that eight months ago, we published a book called The Sales Playbook for Hyper Sales Growth. And it actually has a free app attached to it where you can download all the forms and processes and then customize them for your industry. Love it. Love it. Uh, The book just this month was featured on one of the big video boards on Times Square because uh, I went into partnership with Forbes Books as uh, one of the featured authors in partnership there. So people can go online at Amazon or on my website and buy that book and the book will just take you right on through all these processes. Perfect. Last item that I want to put in the playbook and just being conscious of everyone's time, I call it the success guide. And the success guide is based on this one fundamental. There's hardly anything that goes on on a sales call that you couldn't anticipate before you get there. So if you think about that, then there's no reason to not be prepared for anything. There should be no surprises on a call. So all we have to do is figure out what are the things that we hear when we're out there and then build the answers and then practice the answers from the playbook. So earlier I started because you asked a question and I gave the example of the objections. Yep. The mindset of salespeople is, There's a million objections. There's unending, infinite objections. It's complete nonsense. Every time I work with a live audience, I challenge them to put 15 up on the board and I'll buy them drinks for two hours and I've never had to buy a cocktail, right? (laughs) But here's the thing. If there are less than 15, why not figure out what they are and figure out the best answers, build them into the playbook, and practice those plays. Yep. Yeah? Here's another part of the playbook. If asking questions and listening is the shortest course on sales, then why not figure out the best questions that we should ask on a call and then rehearse them and practice them from the playbook again, right? How about this one? Everybody that's going to decide whether they're going to buy from you, they ask this question. They often don't ask it of the salesperson. They ask it inside themselves. Why should I do business with that company? So if everybody's asking why should I do business with that company, figure out the best damn answer compared to your competitors and put it in the playbook 
and practice the play. I mean, hmm. there's nothing that we've covered here, nothing that's hard. People tell me how hard sales is. Well, it's because you don't have a playbook and you haven't identified the processes and you haven't practiced. Well, no shit, it's going to be hard, right? I mean, my goodness, anything in life is going to be hard if you don't figure out the system and the process and practice it. I mean, I watched the Olympics this summer in Rio and these little girls that are 16 years old doing gymnastics, I'd, I would be in an ambulance after 30 seconds, but but they're there to win bronze, silver, and gold. They, they've been practicing every day since they were six years old to get on the big stage, and it's a two to three minute exercise. There's no mystery here. The very best people in any discipline in life practice. So if you're going to practice as a salesperson, then you have to figure out what you're going to practice and what you're going to have to practice is what you put in the playbook. I love it. I think the simplicity just makes it really easily actionable. And, and I think we might even chat with you offline as far as getting maybe one or two of the processes that we can include with this. And then that way, if people want to find out more and get the rest of the processes, get the book, um, that'd be a great extension and, and probably something that really should be delegated to a sales manager. I think the business owner, they need to understand sales, but this would work incredibly well just to give straight to the sales manager and say, you know, I want you to create this playbook and I want you to follow this process and then I want you to make sure your team is following it. Yeah, so you've opened up Pandora's box again, Dave. <laughs> so when I'm talking with business owners, one of the big cautions is what I call the three sins of sales management. And very succinctly, the three sins that we see holding companies back from growing at a hyper pace is one, the CEO owner entrepreneur is also wearing the hat of the sales manager. And quite frankly, that means you're doing both jobs part time. Yep. So yeah, that makes no sense. The second sin is you take the best salesperson on your team and you make them the sales manager. And what often happens there is you lose your best salesperson and get a mediocre at best sales manager because they're completely different jobs and require a different skill set. And then the third sin is the one where I pull all my hair out. And that's where we take the best salesperson, we make them the sales manager and say, continue with your book of business and sell. Yeah. And that guy is complete. I mean, he needs to go in the nut house within six months. Yeah, yeah. You, you so, almost want to, I'm imagining, as, as you would, you'd keep the best salesperson doing what they want, get the sales manager to crawl into the head of the salesperson to document and create that playbook. And then, as you said, the job of the sales manager is to teach, coach, and train. Absolutely. You betcha. And, uh, and so let's use this as a summary. People and companies tend to underperform to their capabilities because we rush to the urgent at the expense of the important. Mm, yeah. And so we throw salespeople out in the field and say, sell, sell, sell. I mean, we leave the word off. Sell crappy, sell poorly, sell badly, sell awful, just go and sell. If we just stopped and taught them what built the playbook and did the practice, no coach would put a player on the field in a game without it. Yeah. What are we doing in business? But what happens is you have a territory that's been open and there's not been a salesperson representing it for two months because you fired a guy or he quit. 
And then finally, you hire a guy, you grab him by the collar and throw him in the field. Of course, he's not going to perform well. And he's practicing on his prospects. Who does that? Yeah. So, but why do we do it? We do it out of a sense of urgency. We got to get him out in the field. If we would just focus on the important, the urgent would go away with the professionalism of the salesperson. Jack, I love this session so much. I think the wisdom that you've got really shines through. You've been doing this long enough and you've you've seen it in play and it's almost like this system and process has been crafted and honed down to the essentials. It, it really is very easy to execute. If people wanted to find out more and dive into this deeper, as I suggest they do, where's the best place for them to go? So, you know, I'm US-based. I'm going to give you a website. That's jackdaily, D-A-L-Y dot net. Our office phone is 888-298-6868. Either one of those and we'll track me down. Perfect. Thanks, Jack. I'll be in touch with Jen as well to see maybe there's some extra things we can give some of the attendees so they can take this knowledge a little bit deeper. She can definitely load you up. No question. Thanks again, Jack. All right. Thank you. Cheers. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.